welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. This episode of Oil & Gas Onshore is made possible by Sherpa Coaching. With a national network of certified coaches, Sherpa helps people refine their leadership skills and get the most from their talent. Founded in 2004, Sherpa has trained over 10,000 leaders and certified more than 600 coaches. Offerings include one-on-one executive coaching, team workshops, and a coaching certification program. Sherpa coaches focus on habits and behaviors with the greatest impact on individual performance, team effectiveness, and unification. Positive skills plus positive behavior equals positive business impact. Learn more at SherpaCoaching.com. Welcome back to another episode. We're here at NAPE, and I'm here with my man, Adam Oxen from Rocks Exploration. Adam, it's a pleasure to have you on the show for the folks that are, you know, listening, I'm sure you can hear a little background noise. We're here at NAPE, booth 2011, right yeah. next to EOG and a bunch of other just great operators. It's fun to be here in person. But Adam, thanks for taking time out of your busy week to come on the show, man. How's for things? Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this. Yeah. Uh, good. Yeah. It's been fun to be, it's been a while since we've been down here because of yeah. COVID and all that. And yeah, so I think they actually had this last year, but it ended up like delayed into the summer. And it was like, is it, going to be live it's going to be blended and we didn't come yeah it wasn't even though we had a booth like we were just like no (laughs) i was just talking to someone who's like it's a good thing you didn't come because that was like it's like delta went crazy and a bunch of the big companies just didn't even show up oh i'm sure it it was probably dead and if anything they probably would have done a bunch of like i would imagine because it was interesting because during covid you saw a lot of webinars a lot of like online conferences and everyone's like yeah that's the future online conferences which for a while it was but I don't think people realize like just the human nature of like the demand for social interaction. Us right. as humans, we need it. So to think that, you know, the rest of our lives would have been done on Zoom land is just, you know, delusional because now like, you know, COVID's still going on. Omicron is like, you know, still rampant, supposedly. But, you know, with that said, it's like people talk about that, like with this metaverse, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, are we going to go live like in an Oculus headset? Like 100% of the time, it's like think there's human connections to be done like yeah because yeah. there's nothing like this. reading body language and being with someone like for example you and i took a walk across the floor well, all of a sudden we run into you know the old 360 guys the next thing you know you're getting invited onto their podcast right, here and right, right it's like i don't know how you do that on zoom or now actually interestingly i was talking to do you know mark larue from social octane Oh, that name sounds really familiar. I need to connect you with him. He's a great guy, holds a bunch of different events. He's actually doing a huge event in Oklahoma probably this spring sometime. Yeah. Anyway, it's called Golf Games. Yeah. But I say that to say him and I were having lunch. We were talking about online, like virtual, you know, meetups and stuff like that. And so what he was saying is, he, I forget who he was talking to, but same thing. Like, say you have the Oculus on and let's say your rocks exploration. Okay? Right. So, and it would be sold through like NFTs would give you access into this event. Well, in the event, like right now, you have a physical booth, right? Rocks Exploration, you have a physical, you know, some canvas, a TV, you know, trying to build a little bit of an experience when people come. Well, by doing it in the metaverse, like how cool would it be? Like, and again, I'm just like thinking off the cusp. So Rocks Exploration comes and you have a water slide that goes into your reservoir. And so you're like immersing yourself into your little world yeah. and each booth at this digital conference that you're like virtual reality walking around in, you walk in the door and it's this whole new world. And then right. you could walk out, like that to me would be pretty cool. I think the promise of that and the idea of it is really neat. Oh, I'm like, talking 10, 15 years oh, down yeah. the line. No, I can yeah. see that. It's like <laughs> yeah. Metaverse now, it's like, this looks like a bad like... <laughs> <laughs> like rendering from like the games I played on computers in the late 90s. Yeah. Like, oh, it is. It's yeah. so early. Which I'm not trying to be like an old man and be like, oh, this is just these young kids with their Oculus is going to be done. <laughs> like, I don't mean to come off that way. Right. Anyways. No, you're forward I think thinking. Some, I think there's some interesting things. Like you mentioned, like smart contracts. I think there's a potential, a lot of potential across different industries, including oil and gas. Yeah. For like smart contracts, whether that's 
you know, Bitcoin smart contracts or Ethereum or something like that. I think there's interesting things yeah. people are doing, especially, I mean, with the Bitcoin stuff, I mean, with the Lightning Network and building on top of that on Layer 3, there's, gosh, there's a web browser being built on Bitcoin's Layer 3 right now. I'm blanking on the name of it, but some really interesting stuff going on. Speaking of that, I was on my MetaMask last night on my phone. I was looking at some just some stuff I was messing around and and then I didn't realize if you go to the menu, you can go to their browser. And so, and then I was went to, if anyone's into NFTs, check out Cosmic Pause. They do an automated, you connect your wallet to their website and it'll auto-generate your own NFT. So, oh, and yeah. then you can mint it that way. And they're the first ones that I think do like basically randomly AI generated NFTs. If you like, you just, it's almost like you spin it. Right. And it goes and then boom. And then if you like it, then you can mint it. And if you don't like it, you just press the button again and it and then. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, totally getting off topic here. We're (laughs) at NAPE. That's the purpose, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Adam, so go ahead. You know, we're drinking coffee here. There's a nice lady who made Adam a latte. I have got a cappuccino. So we're dialed in. We feel very European. Yeah, no, this is great. (laughs) I feel like, yeah, we're uh, I'm Canadian. You're American. I mean, I'm some kind of mix mash of everything. Yeah. Nate, how long have you guys been coming for? And for you guys, what is the intent to come here and where do you see the value? That's always interesting to me. Yeah, for us, you know, we're a family owned exploration and production company out of Oklahoma. And so NAPE is really just an opportunity for us to reconnect, you know, within industry friends to network and to kind of hang our flag out and yeah. say, hey, you know, we exist in this incredible ecosystem of oil and gas. And so that's really, you know, yeah, all those reasons, just maintaining relationships and seeing people and hanging out and doing stuff like this, like this podcast. And then also, you know, it's quite ironic, right? We're right here next to EOG Resources. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's this big producer, operator, and then, you know, us, it's, you know, four, well, three brothers and my dad in the office together. So yeah, that's an opportunity to say, hey, we exist. And I think what's cool about this podcast and like the one, you know, that we're starting to do that you've come on and been a part of. Yeah. Is we'll just, talk about that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that idea of being like, people don't know where in general, where their energy comes from oil and gas, but to the extent that they do, if you're going to think of an oil and gas company, it's going to be like a Devon tower in Oklahoma city. It's yeah. not going to be like our little office on the street next to a dermatologist yes. and a dentist. Right. You know what I mean? So and that's that, kind of the opportunity for us. It is because it gives you such a voice to scream from the mountaintops, just as though same EOG would. Now, EOG probably you know, arguably has, you know, a large PR campaign and they've got just buku resources to spend money on, like spreading the good word and and, and, and into like, you know, the Exxons and the BPs. But at the end of the day, so the smaller operators, like right now, a lot of the smaller sort of PE back companies are the ones adding to rate count and arguably are going to move the needle in U.S. production. Yes, the Chevrons, the Exxons, the, you know, the Conocos are going to do, you know, their part, but it's a lot of these little ones that also make up a huge majority or a good majority of production and activity. And and again, it's creating jobs for people. I mean, it it takes everybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I was just hearing some of those, like, you know, there's a lot of talk about, well, producers maintain, you know, kind of this discipline. I was just hearing some numbers, you know, on like what's the metrics for like, you know, drilling wells. And it's like $40 oil and still economical at like greater than 50% return. So it's like, wow, that is some really high grade rock. No kidding. That's got to be pretty limited. So to that point, and then you've got these kind of ESG regulations that are kind of strangleholding some of the large producers, you know, that have fun backing. That comes to the point of like, well, how does a small operator or like you said, some of these EMP back companies, they're really going to have to move the needle in terms of like bringing on new production to meet the supply issues we're having, the demand. Yeah. So I think there's opportunity there, but it takes education and a lot of really a long game yeah. of just getting content and info out. Yeah, no, it is. And we'll talk about your guys' podcast, but I want to take the opportunity to get to know a little bit more about you, you know, Adam, behind, you know, everything that goes on, you know, you're part of the family business, but are you originally, you guys are all from Oklahoma then or born and raised type of thing or? Okay. Which part? Norman. Norman, Norman, Oklahoma. Okay. And that's where OU is, right? Yeah. Are you an OU grad? 
Yep. Yep. Okay. We're all OU grads. Very yeah, nice. Born and raised there. Yeah. Yeah. The story is like, you know, Russ, my father's geologist, lost his job in the oil bust of the 80s, started selling deals and then started operating. He didn't like that the operators that were drilling his geological deals were moving the location or moving the, he's like, these operators keep screwing this up. I can do a better job. <laughs> so yeah. He started operating and, you know, through all the ups and downs of it, continued to, you know, add wells to his asset base. And I started keeping the books like huh. while during college, like learning that side of it. And then you know, my brothers stepped in as Mark's an engineer, Kevin's a landman. And so, yeah, built this little kind of company there. And yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the quick story of rocks exploration no there's a lot to you know you say it so humbly but it's it's pretty interesting because i'm curious kind of like you know it reminds me a little bit of, of, of rice energy right you've yeah. got you know the whole you know rice brother legacy that started and their dad you know i forget the details but essentially a bunch of brothers came along and the dad said you're going to be a geologist you're going to be an engineer and then he's like, you're going to go to A&M and do this, this, and this. And so he essentially, he was like building the dream team, right? <laughs> right. And so his kids, I don't know if they had a chance to do anything different. Maybe they did. I don't know. But growing up, what were your interests? Like mm. before you got even started within, you know, the family business, I mean, what was it like for growing up, you know, Norman, what did you do? what did you do for fun? Great question. Yeah, no, like any normal kid of the, you know, 80s and 90s, love playing video games, you know getting into that playing sports you know baseball baseball is a big part De russ always my father always coached the base my baseball team so ah, okay what position did you play second second base yeah okay. second, so you yeah. got quick feet and good hands oh i loved it and and what was crazy you know i was <laughs> it's just balancing you know you got to balance like the family business and then like coaching and dad always did that so that's a cool like thing you know we try and carry over like me and my brothers like being involved with our kids in that way like Heck yeah. you can run the family business but you can be involved in all the other stuff too i love hearing that yeah yeah so yeah i love baseball played that all through you know up through like 14 started playing some aau stuff some competitive stuff kind of burnt out okay and then we restarted like i went to a small private school in norman and it was a school that kind of grew you know as more people enrolled and started going there like they kind of brought on the sports programs and they had never we'd had basketball we had football eight man man football yeah but we started my senior year we started the baseball team so that was fun and our only like kind of thing that we like victory that we really held close <laughs> was like in the playoffs like at the end of the year like with the other small schools in the region like we put out our big rival like in game one like we put them out yeah. of contention so that was our like yeah, and then we got killed in the second game, and we were oh. out, and we like we beat the rivals, like we right. put them out. They underestimated us, and that's the sweetest taste is, is beating the rival, right? Yeah. And and it's funny because growing up in Canada, sports don't run quite as deep as they do down here, and so our, my only exposure to like major rivals was you know just watching it on TV or like even movies, you know, talking about it or you know Friday Night Lights or you know right. stuff like that. Uh -huh. But but it's so I find it so fascinating talking to folks like yourself that have, have lived it and gone through it. And you know, for you, you don't have any you know other frame of reference other than what you experienced. But I love hearing those types of stories. So I always get geeked out when people tell me stuff like yeah. that, and that's really neat. And so, at what point did you decide that? Like, so what did you go to school for once you decided to go to OU or if you didn't even have a choice? Talking about interests and like a big fan of, I mean, like kids, you know, drawing and, and doing artwork and like, you know, being into like, you remember the Batman, the animated series? Yeah. Like, you know, being into comics and stuff like that. I didn't really know what I wanted to do huh. graduating. And that's, I actually studied filmmaking at OU. So did a degree in that and art history minor, which is actually really interesting. Aubrey McClendon, his major was in art history. Really? Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. I see some parallels. This <laughs> no, is good. No, not. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hopefully you don't no. run into a wall, but. No, you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of like, I don't know why, I guess because of Pops owning his own business, I'd always thought I'm going to own my own business someday. I'm going to yeah. do something like that. So out of school, like kind of put together a, a production company and, and made a film. No way. What is it? Oh, it's called The Gunslingers is what the, we ended up selling it to Lionsgate. What? But, like, what? That's well, so cool. No, but the, like back in the day, and I don't know how it is because it kind of burned out on that, but like they had all these subsidiaries set up under them, like these like LLCs that would go out and cut, they kind of had a, a distribution agreement with like Lionsgate. So these companies that they weren't really subsidiaries, but sort of were, would go out and buy these 
like small film productions that oh, yeah. they would then take straight to like video and digital. And that's what they did with us. So they renamed it. We, we made this like Western mashup, like no way. Western horror film sci-fi is mashup. it available to like view anywhere probably but i'm not suggesting anyone go find <laughs> it like, it was a great learning experience like yeah. of like getting out there and also like like i said russ selling working interests like as like kind of the way he developed his oil and gas business i would look to that and was like oh like you can do that and we can sell quote-unquote working interests but you know like shares in a, a partnership to make a movie and so that was kind of my first like way of like, you know, taking that idea and thinking about, well, how do we apply this idea to this yeah. industry? Right. Which is kind of like a lot of what we try and do, especially right now, like some of the conversations you and I have had, you know, about thinking about the digital realm and technology and oil and gas. I'm like, how, where do all those things meet? And trying to learn from other businesses, business models, other industries, like what are they doing over here that we can learn from and do over here? Or apply to, you know, the reality of our, our small sure. business. You know. Well, the cool thing about being small is you oftentimes don't have nearly as many people to come up with an idea, give it the green light, and then just go play and see what happens, right? right, and, right. and it's been so fascinating, which is why I'm, like, super geeked out about Rocks Exploration is because you have so many different little, like, you have some companies working on whether it's their unique technology or they're adopting something, but you kind of have a few different things happening, which I want to give you the opportunity to speak about because there's, I don't know if there's too many people doing it. And so the first one being, you know, you're a small EMP out of Oklahoma, but you're getting into arguably one of the sort of the hottest topics right now is Bitcoin mining, yeah. right? And so, yeah, explain, you know, from the conversations, how they got started into, hey, this actually may have some legs if we do it correctly into what you're going to do. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, so we're not actually mining yet. We're building out our first mine, Bitcoin mine. And we've been into Bitcoin for a number of years now. Really, really- How'd you get started? You know, just like everyone else, just like, you know, DYOR, you know, yeah. do your own research and get in there. And Mark had some friends who got in early, like 2011. Oh, wow. And so it was on our radar. And then, you know, just kind of like everyone else, you know, you start doing research and started buying personally for ourselves. And holding Bitcoin, you know, yeah, 2017 or so, 16, 17, somewhere in there. And then obviously, you know, there's been these up and down cycles, right? And the, the happenings and all that. And getting to the point where we're like, hey, a lot of people are talking about using flared gas to mine. What would that look like if we kind of set up a, another company to, again, like I said, we're at the beginning of this. We're building yeah. out our mine and, and putting this all together for the purpose of kind of getting a proof of concept of like what this would look like. But what if we, you know, went in and created this mining company on the back end that is essentially like a digital midstream company that comes in and wow. purchases gas for the purpose of turning that into electricity with which to mine Bitcoin. And so that's where we're at is kind of putting that together. And then what does that look like? Like, do we sell down interest in these things? we raise capital in another way like like again i'm just giving you kind of a view into our, our thinking on it like yeah. what, what does this look like so yeah i think it, what's really important as far as bitcoin goes is is just continuing to build out the infrastructure of the bitcoin network you know all these miners like when you think about like what secures the bitcoin network it's bringing on all these different asics these computers that are hashing that are that are maintaining that network and bringing it in across the world, right? You know, yeah. it's, it's big in Texas, right? It's a big topic right now about bringing on these mining units in Oklahoma. Max Gagliardi's got together the first Bitcoin meetup yeah, group. I saw that. In Oklahoma I, City. I've known Max for a while now. He's yeah. dialed into that stuff. He yeah. loves it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, Max is doing a good job talking about that. And so securing that network, like the more miners that you bring on, like the more that the distribution of, you know, all the hashing and calculations going into maintaining that network. Yeah. That's the important side. Like we see, like there's economic opportunity, but then there's also the side of like, this is good sound money. Like this is an asset everyone is going to eventually own and hold. So how do we be a part of like building out that infrastructure? So there's wow. kind of the two sides of it, like the business opportunity and then also the 
well, this is an existential thing. Like we need to be involved in this because it's the future. Yeah. And then there's also the element of like, it's really important for the network and for, well, essentially everyone that's going to eventually take part in that network. Like, yeah. you know, if the adoption rate is whatever, 1997 internet, right? The equivalent of that, what's it going to look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Yeah. It's going to be a whole different world. It is. Everything starts off sort of with one sort of frame of thinking, but everything eventually evolves, right? And so, but if you can at least get in there and have some skin in the game and you can evolve and grow with it and have some influence on how it grows and essentially be like a leader in the space. Because, I mean, people are dabbling in it, but I think forward thinking is what's going to be required, especially for folks in oil and gas to get over this hurdle because of, you know, ultimately we need to evolve as an industry and then take on different things. And like you said, being here, you know, meeting different folks. But what I've seen so much more now is integrating technologies from outside our industry and bringing it in to leverage because there's just great things happening in so many different verticals that it's easy to sort of bolt on to what we already have going. I mean, some guys are already talking on the Bitcoin top, thinking about like a mining company, like in the future, like being totally vertically integrated, you know, from the ground up, oh, like yeah. producing the hydrocarbons up through converting it to the electricity, to mining it, to owning the pool, like having, you know, the scale to have the whole mining pool, like everything, the whole, you know. Wow. But, you know, like you said, like, it's just a matter of getting your skin in the game. Like, you got to start somewhere. Like, we can look at these things and think about the metaverse or like, what's Bitcoin adoption rate? And what's the use cases and all that. But like today, it's the time to start. Yeah. Yeah. Like all that will come. It's just today you've got to take action on it and be a part of that. Yeah. No. And that's why, I mean, I dabble in all sorts of random things. And like I got a little bit into the NFT space and then I've always been a little bit into the crypto space or, you know, into podcasting too. I had a sense of it like having so much potential and I couldn't necessarily, you know, whiteboard it and say, here's what it's going to look like in 10 years. But man, am I ever glad I got into it in 2017 because right. it's just helped me. And ultimately, I've been able to help a lot of other people just kind of, you know, help people share their stories and help people create their own podcast. Yeah, and yeah. It's fascinating. And something else that you guys are working on, which I'd like for you to speak on, is the working interest part that you guys are offering, I think. Yeah, and, and no. I, I may not have the lingo right, but yeah, speak a little bit on, on that side of things. Yeah. So like we were talking about this, right? Like there was a generation like when Russ first got started, there was like within the industry that just, whether they're landmen, engineers, geologists, that invested directly in oil and gas drilling deals, developmental projects. And then that kind of, you know, in the late 2000s kind of phased out. I guess that generation kind of went away and kind of moved into this kind of the private equity model of backing deals. And then, you know, the last five, six years has been rough and so what we do is really kind of a traditional, like what like think back like to that time of like, you can directly invest alongside of us in an oil and gas developmental project. And so what we've done historically is vertical wells. And then in 2017, drilled our first lateral well. We've never drilled a shale well. These are laterals that we're drilling through like a conventional rock, conventional reservoir. So we're applying those kind of unconventional shale technologies to conventional reservoirs interesting that was an oswego well and then we've been drilling hunting wells up in major county for the last year i'm brought just td'd our fourth one i'm going to complete it next month so the opportunity there is for like i said whether you're an oil and gas industry veteran or you know in the industry or you're a small business owner or maybe invest in real estate or a doctor pharmacist, anything like that, like sure. there are opportunities to directly invest in an oil and gas well with us, other small operators, where you can realize like the tax incentives, which are really great. You can write off that W-2 income along with obviously the risks. And none of this is financial We're not offering financial I'm advice. just trying to explain like what a working interest is. Yes. So you can invest in this have a tax write-off and then have the potential to, you know, realize a good return and you're getting cash flows. Once you bring that well on, what a lot of people don't realize is you're selling, you know, each month we're distributing revenues. So like cash flow comes on right away. 
and then depending on how well the well performs, I mean, you're going to have a blend of like how much of it, of the percentage of the production is oil versus gas and what is pricing at right now. And do we have, you know, how that all factors into the return. So, you know, the first well we brought on in, in year one, you know, like a 42% return on money wow. invested in it. So that's all going to be different from well to well. So if you approach it in the same way of like, if you think about buying a Bitcoin or Ethereum or like dollar cost averaging into that, like you buy whatever, a hundred bucks a week or something like that, or so much a month you're averaging out. We've got people who have, I mean, we've got a gentleman, he's invested with us for over 20 years and he does 2% in every deal. Well, you average that out, you've got, you know, a portfolio at 2%. So you've got average wells, you've got maybe a couple dry holes, and then you've got above average wells and yep. over the life of it it's a really great return yeah so that's the way you kind of have to think about it it's investing where you actually own the asset you own the working interest so and that comes with you know there's there's land there's the equipment on location and then there's those associated hydrocarbons that are produced that, that create revenue yeah so that's a long one explanation no of, that's good it's a working interest but informing the audience which so is this something that you guys offer to you know like as a retail investor someone who's interested or are you guys in the process of creating a platform to where people can go in and we're trying to figure out ways to do that you do need to be accredited, accredited. yeah to invest with us. I know what accredited investors mean on the real estate side. I don't know. I'm assuming it's the same, but how would you describe, or can you describe what a, an accredited investor is for people who are like, well, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's the same. Okay. So there's certain income levels as an inv individual you have to meet, or if you're married and filing jointly like that, you have to certify you're going to expect to have that income over the next, whatever it is, two to three years. If you're a business, you have to have, or a partnership or an LLC, you have to certify you have so much assets under management or so much. So like we've created like a type form on our website. So you can go to rocks, energy, rocks.energy. It'll take you to our website. And we've got a little button on there that's like learn more about working interests. And you can oh, actually okay, go cool. on there and like fill out a form and self-accredit yourself and schedule a phone call with me or Kevin or whoever, and we'll kind of walk through like, what's this look like? What, yeah. what kind of deals do we have? I mean, that's what we do. We're trying to like figure out these ways to put, you know, allow people to get in touch with us that want to learn more because we want to share in educating people what that is and what the opportunities are there. And so it's really, it's not like we, I mean, we're not sales pitching people like you've got to do this right now. It's really like an educational process. Like, okay, you have the means, but this might not fit you right? for any number of reasons. Maybe you're too risk averse to this. Maybe it's just not, the timing's not right. I mean, there could be any number of things. And that's something that is really on an individual kind of basis. Yeah. Just, you have to work out with the, the individual or the, the couple right. or, or the business. Of course. So what's a typical kind of minimum investment? Assuming you're accredited, but want to get your feet wet. What what is, does that start roughly? Do you know? Like fifty thousand. Fifty ish. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Again, similar to the real estate side as well. And so, is that something that you guys are actively sort of pushing? And, and where do you see the future in that? I mean, are you just sort of does it help you guys scale your business and and do, or is it more to like just help people? Like, I guess where's the why behind you, why you're doing that? That's a great question. I mean, oil and gas wells, especially like these ones we're talking about, these laterals. You know, our, our vertical depth is like 8,500 and we're going out a mile laterally. So like total measured depth is over 14,000 feet. They're expensive endeavors. You've got, you know, drilling rigs, you have drilling consultants, you have all the labor. Like it's an expensive yeah. operation, you know, four to five million dollars. So that's a lot by bringing in working interest. And we invest directly in all of our deals. So yeah. with those working interests, there's small carry. But there's also, we invest in our oil and gas deals. So it's really like an opportunity for other people to invest alongside us. And we have skin in the game. We're not just a promoter trying to get a deal going yeah. to earn revenue. We're actually working up the deals, vetting them, drilling them and operating them as our means of generating revenues. And bringing in others allows them to share in the potential rewards, but also to mitigate the risk for everyone, both the investor and for us as a company. That makes sense. So what happens in, in a situation like that? And, you know, I'm a drilling operations guy. And 
in a perfect world, you drill a well and you drill it, you know, a little bit under AFE and everyone's happy. But let's say things end up costing more money than you initially anticipate due to unforeseen circumstances. All of a sudden you need to do a cash call or all of a sudden you like, do you then do investors? Let's say I invest $50,000 and all of a sudden, like, can you come back and then say, hey, look, the well's you know, taking a little longer. Oh, hey, we took a, you know, a kick and we got it or we got to set an extra steering casing. God forbid that then those investors, are they obligated to come up with a certain percent to keep the operation going or how does that work? Exactly. No. Yeah. A working interest is a proportional interest. And then you have net revenues, right? Of that. So yeah, that's exactly it. If the AFE comes in under, like if which we did with the first well, pricing was great in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> right? You're able to do, do a lot for little. With, yeah. Yeah. Um, then proportionally to what you put in those prepayments, on the drilling and completion expenses are refunded too. Now, likewise, if you go over, well, you're going to get a monthly, it's called a joint interest billing statement. Oh, okay. So, so, My so, wife did jib billing back in Canada for yeah. CNRL. Okay, yeah. That's so, exactly okay, what wow. it is. Totally connected the dot there. Yeah. Okay. And, and those you get those monthly regardless. You're going to see your monthly operating expenses. You're going to see the monthly revenues and whether you have, you know, excess of revenue and or whether, you know, like... Really, in the scenario of like going over, that means you're going to have a month or two, maybe, of where you're paying off like that overage. Yeah, it just it's on a well by well basis. You yeah, know, but. and I'm sure it's just like there's so many different things that could happen, and so it's it's hard to sit here and say here's exactly how the process works. But ultimately, you invest, the project goes over, you're obligated to pay a little more. If it but, comes yeah. under, you get a little less, but then you're collecting revenue down the road. So, and that's why the drilling side is so risky, and people have to know that because. Yeah, you can go drill, you know, the first well we did of these, we drilled in 16 days, like it's fast. But there's all kinds of factors that go into that, like which rig were you using? Yeah. Did you swim and get to another well? Well, you know, it's just, there's so many things that can go positively or negatively. And that's what people have to understand about something like a working interest in a drilling project is you just have to understand the associated risk when you're evaluating these things. And that's why, like, again, I'm saying like, we want to be a resource to educate people because it is a great opportunity, especially just looking at just the need globally for energy. Yes. Like that's on the topic. I mean, that's on every <laughs> news show right now, right? Like just the way pricing is moving and just the demand is continuing to grow globally. Like there's an opportunity to participate directly in generating the oil and gas and associated, you know, liquids that help provide energy that keeps our world moving. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's why we want to be a resource to help people learn wow. how to be a part of that. I love that. And I think you said it and you hit it on the head is being a resource for people to learn because that's the biggest challenge for most people is they take, you know, all the headlines that they read and then they draw conclusions based off of that and then apply it to very complex problems. Whereas if you can have a trusted resource like yourselves to go on your website, learn a little bit on working interest, then you can make some pretty educated decisions, assuming the resource is a trusted you know, source, which again, right. you guys are obviously. So again, I think, and that's sort of the new age of selling and I call it consultative selling. And because ultimately you guys are you know selling the company and selling you know opportunities and we're all salespeople at the end of the day is selling you know our intent or our you know something we, an idea or whatever selling your old man on some crazy technology and he's like what the hell is this Adam <laughs> right. like you know what I mean so but the best way to sell is to educate it and help people make their own decisions which again that leads me into my next question is you guys are starting a podcast brought to you through the lens of a small operator, which again, I think is so awesome. I'm super bullish on podcasting and what it's done for not only myself, but for everyone that you know I've been associated with in the podcast world. I'd love to hear more about your guys' podcast and then what the objective is there and, and what you're hoping to gain out of it. Yeah, exactly. That's like I said, we want to be a resource to educate people. And you were really, you know, as we've been talking about the idea and thinking about like, what would this look like? How do we do it? Will people find interest? And you were really encouraging to me about, you know, like, yeah, you guys can do this. Yeah, you guys should do this. So I appreciate that. I want to give you, you know, props for that. Oh, but I'm excited for you guys. Yeah. And we're like right away, like, yeah, I'll help in any way I can. So yeah, the idea is to provide kind of a look inside like the oil and gas industry from a small family operator's perspective and in a way that's accessible to anyone inside the industry or outside of 
to again to provide content that's hopefully entertaining but also educational and adds you know to people's lives and enjoyment yeah so with the podcast are you going to be doing like interview style or have you figured out the format like what does that look like i'm always interested yeah i think we've landed on the interview style again trying to bring in and hopefully you know bring in some other small operators to talk about to add to that perspective because i mean we're not the only i mean there's tons i mean the number of producers it's maybe in the tens of thousands you know, right. there's tons of producers that, so like having those conversations and hopefully with more of the small business owners in the oil patch. Yeah. They need a voice more so than anybody. Yeah. So that's kind of the idea is like, again, provide that peek into this, you know, <laughs> my son the other night was like, what is duck dynasty? <laughs> my friends <laughs> talk about duck dynasty. And I was like, it's a show about these guys that make duck calls and it's their family business and you get to see them. Then obviously it's highly scripted and like, sure, but that's it's the meant to be entertaining. Yeah. But like, that's kind of the same idea. Like, what is the look inside? Like the daily life? Like, what's it like to live and breathe that kind of scenario? Like, right. You can imagine. I mean, it's like there's plenty of shows, right? Of like the home builders or remodelers or like the fixer uppers or kind of providing this peek into like, this is business and life, yeah. you know, intermingled. And so if we can provide some of that and do it in a way that's, like I said, entertaining and informative, that's kind of the goal. Yeah. And you know what it would be cool? And again, it, it takes time. It takes resources. But if you guys did like a vlog and mm. went out and did like showed like, you know, rig hands on the rig floor, like tripping pipe or, you know, like turning a well online for the first time, watching yeah. some gauges, like because so many people don't get an opportunity to see the inner workings. They think gas pump, right. <laughs> you know, like, oh, drill, frack, gas pump. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's so much that goes on. Yeah. And you could go out, like, interview some, you know, bit salesman that comes out to the rig. Yeah. Like, you could do so well, much dude, and, and educate people on what we really do. Yeah, and you saying that, like, the rig hands that work these wells are the unsung heroes. Oh, like, big the, time. Those guys, like this well we just TD'd. Uh, we had this storm, you know, move in in Houston. I mean, up through Texas, up through Oklahoma. These guys are out there busting their butts, and it's sleeting and then snowing and, yeah, you know, freezing temperatures, and they're getting the job done. So it you got to give a shout-out to those guys. But to your point, like, providing, like, hey, you being able to get into your nice, warm vehicle and drive to school or to work or whatever, it's because of this guy's busting his butt out there yeah no and you know it always piece of my heart is is talking about the field guys because that's where i broke out 18 years old didn't know what i want to do hopped on a drilling rig and it was the most miserable best time of my life you know what i mean (laughs) right to be out there at minus 40 you know trying to pull these long steel rods out of the ground i had no idea what i was doing like no idea about anything right but you know contributing to providing energy for the world is is a fascinating feeling once you take a step back and years down the road understanding how it all ties together which kind of brings me to another point is i was at nape on tuesday and there was a bunch of great speakers and one i think it was the gentleman from shell was talking about people are our greatest assets and the challenge right now is because during the 2020, you know, COVID downturn, I mean, tremendous of volume of people left the industry. Some are trying to come back. Some have said, screw this. I'm not coming back. Like, I'm tired of the volatility. You know, getting schools on board to promote, you know, the petroleum engineering, you know, a degree is somewhat challenging. I've heard attendance, you know, on that side of things is, is low. A lot of people are attracted to the, you know, the, you know, the Amazon, Facebook, Google, Apple, like that's like, you know, we want to go work there in Silicon Valley because that's where all the action is. I say that to say for your guys' perspective, how do we continue to either retain or to gain young professionals, not only in the office, but in the field? I mean, do you guys have a kind of a thought? Because you're a younger group and, you know, we talk NFTs or like, you know, video games and Oculus. And, you know, those are conversations that a lot of, you know, I I call them kids, like young adults, you know, they like and they want to go work for a company who's kind of in the know on that stuff. So my question to you is, as an industry, and you guys have been around now, what's the best way for us as an industry to still attract the best talent we possibly can without losing it? to a lot of other industries or or different disciplines. Yeah, I don't know if there's like a silver arrow, like, you know, that solves all the problems. But I think conversations like this happening, 
really getting out there and, you know, we have a responsibility to tell our story and to share it with other people. So I think there's that. I think there's some things you can't control, but to a certain degree, I mean, I think it takes like energy families, like educating their children on like where, when you plug your phone into the wall, like <laughs> yeah. how did that get here? How did yeah. that electricity I've had that get conversation there? with my six-year-old daughter. Yeah. And yeah, she gets the very basic fundamentals of like earth, hydrocarbon, energy. Yeah. iPad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. she's kind of connected the yeah. dots. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I don't know. It's a tough question. I want to get like wax philosophical because a lot of people are like, we just got to be active on social media and make podcasts and we'll save the kids, which I think all those things need to happen. But I think there's got to be some kind of like fundamental shift in society realizing like things aren't free, like assets that mean something that retain value. Like you have to go and find them or develop them or build them or make them, whether that's iPhones being built by Apple or EVs being built by Tesla yeah. or whether that's, you know, building a location, drilling a well, setting a wellhead, producing oil and gas to power that Tesla battery, yeah. that iPhone battery. Like, I think there has to be some kind of, yeah, like change, like a positive mind virus yeah, that gets in everybody that realizes like, you know, this is important. Right. And I think you're right. And it's a hard question to answer because we've been up against such a challenge. But I think for a lot of it is we've done it to ourselves. We've always been kind of like, you need us, flip the middle finger to everyone yeah. else. And again, this might sound woo-woo or whatever, but I think we need to approach, you know, the people who do say hate on us with like empathy, kindness, and like an open heart. And again, like it sounds silly, but I've been in areas like Denver and I started when the Marcellus Shale boom hit. I was there in 2010 and a lot of what I did was like trying to educate the blue collar worker on, I'm not here to take your job and steal all your money. Like, and, and just to like help them understand what was happening on sort of a macro scale. It's a hard conversation to have, but I could have easily been like, I'm here to do whatever, blah, blah, blah. But you know, like have a kind heart and be genuine yeah. and just try and explain what it is we're doing, hopefully you can change one person's mind. And if you can do that, hopefully the ripple effect takes place. But if it's always, we're planting our flag, it's us against the world and, you know, F renewables and this and that, like we're not going to make any sort of positive change right. or have constructive conversations unless we kind of like put our egos aside and just do our job to the best of our ability, you know, set in good procedures that hopefully avoid catastrophes. Right. They'll always happen. But, you know, if we can do our job, which is why I'm like so eager and hopeful for a friend of mine, Sarah Stogner, who's running for the Texas Railroad Commissioner. She has a very strong stance on like making sure that oil and gas operators operate the right way and stop taking shortcuts, stop, you know, for the sake of making more money, doing things that everyone knows shouldn't be done, but they do in many ways. Those are the things that snake bite us to where then the media gets a hold of it. And it's like, ah, look at these dirty oil and gas companies are taking shortcuts and blowing, you know, wells apart. It all ties together. That's hard too, because there's always two sides to a story. Yes. Like, and that's one reason where you have to leverage like the tools we have to share because, you know, Recently, we were just talking to someone about, you know, one of these spills that occurred off the California coast. You know, they put out something. It's like hundreds of thousands of gallons of oil. And it's like less than like a swimming pool amount of oil, which not good. But also like there's more like oil like seeping at the surface in California or yeah. in the ocean than that. And it was cleaned up quickly and managed in a really environmentally friendly way. And like so there's that kind of point like these conversations have to be had like around like there's a cost to everything right like there's a cost in building anything whether it's like there's building a, a big new building right here next to this convention center right yeah. there's a cost to that right like it's inconvenient for everyone like there's giant cranes out there and there's going to be other costs associated 
whether that's environmentally or socially or whatever, all the energy that's going to be expended to do that. Yeah. Just in the same way that there's a cost to like not producing infrastructure. Like what if we're not building roads? What if we're not producing energy? Like there's cost to that. And I think, yeah. you know, that's where, yeah, the conversations just have to be had and realized. And also like the existential realization that like you have to have energy. So if someone's not investing in it, or maintaining assets, or for maybe like ESG reasons, someone's getting rid of those, those assets are going to go away. Like someone else is going to end up owning them yeah. or producing them because you need them. So what's the motivation for the, like just looking at those and thinking through like, where is that really ending up? Like what is the end game there? Like yeah. thinking through. I think those are conversations that just have to be had. And they do. And what a better place to have them on a podcast where anyone in the world can Google search and start listening. Right. You know what I mean, yeah. and, and hopefully we do a good job of creating awareness around it to where yeah. people will want to listen. Ah, oh, that's an interesting title. Let me let, listen to it. Next thing you know, you've got a few extra listeners being educated and, and sharing, you know, driving down the road, talking to their buddies. Like, did you know this? And Or have you ever, have you even ever thought about this? Yeah, it is. And you can't boil the ocean either. You know what I mean? Like so many people try, it just starts with one. If one person can impact one other person, it'll all happen. It just takes time, which again is why I'm super excited for you guys doing what you're doing. You're doing it right here. You've been doing it. This is, I mean, yeah. this well, podcast I, is great. So. <laughs> appreciate it. We're, like, all, we're all doing it. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. good. One last question I like to ask on more on the personal side of things is, do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success? And whether that's in the morning, you know, you chalk out time to journal or do this or do that, but is there anything on a daily basis that you kind of, you know, that it's part of your routine that you always stick to and that you commit to? Yeah. Try and start the day with some water, <laughs> glass of water. Nice. Hit the water, work yeah. out. Yeah. While I work out, I like to listen to like a scripture reading. I'll okay. do that with my headphones on. Yeah. So try and get active, try and get kind of like, you know, some good content going in to my brain and spirit. Yeah. And then it's make some coffees for me and the wife. Yeah. And so you work out before you drink the coffee? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oof, I need caffeine. So I, I applaud you, sir. <laughs> well, the water, I don't know why I started doing that. But I've heard there's benefits, you know, to really starting with that glass of water. But for me, it yeah. just, it's easy. <laughs> yeah. It's not a, like, it's, I wake up thirsty, so I have some right. water and start working out. That's really good. So actually, I've done it for a long time and I'll take a shot of, I'll drink my water, take a shot of apple cider vinegar, uh. and then I'll drink a pre-workout. But it's one that me and my business partners designed to make sure it's not chock full of crap. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so I'm proud of that part of it. But yeah, so because when you throughout the evening you're getting dehydrated, you may use a restroom, you yeah. know, or whatever. Yeah. When you wake up, if you right away, most people get up, make a pot of coffee, and start drinking. Well, if you're already dehydrated, you're just then you're doubly then you're dehydrated. Yeah, yeah, and because caffeine is a diuretic, you know, and especially it's like it's a good when you wake up, everything's kind of fresh. You want to flush everything out with some good water, your your kidneys and, and everything else. Because I know a lot of people who've had kidney stones that you'd never think are unhealthy, but it's like, well, how much water do you drink a day? I don't know, maybe a cup. Right, yeah. You know, so so, so if you can like get up and like, even if that one cup is like first thing in the morning, it's better Dude, than no water. We're like, me and my wife, it's like water, coffee, wine. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great combination in like, that order too. <laughs> no, 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 I'm <laughs> just like for life. Like that, that, That's it. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm the same way. I, you know, it's funny you say that because the only other drink Are, are you that a I wine drink, nerd? I wouldn't call myself a nerd, but I frequent wine. And if I'm at a restaurant, I love, like, it's one, like, I used to spend a lot of money on materialistic things. Yeah. I've since changed my tune since having kids and realizing, you know, that I don't always need the latest and greatest, this, that, and the other. But what I will do is if I'm going to spend money, it's it's at a restaurant on a nice bottle of wine. Yeah. Like, I will never cheap out on wine. Yeah. My wife's a little more on the frugal side. She's uh -huh. a she's a former accountant. My wife balances me. Yeah. I, too. <laughs> yeah. So, like, like, a $160 bottle of wine at dinner, like, I mean, I'm not doing it every night, right? Like my wife and I are going like special occasion. Yeah, yeah. we're going we're out for dinner a, tomorrow yeah. night and I'm going to spend money on a nice glass of wine yeah. or a bottle for us. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah. But like, if you were to say, what's your top three wines? I would be like, well, like I would name like the most obvious ones. Uh -huh. So no, I'm not a wine nerd, but we did talk about wine library that you were big on. Oh, so, so back I, in the day. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but so I know you've been in the wine, you know, sort of game for a while. So what's your favorite or like, oh, tell me a little bit about your wine I don't, journey. I don't really have, oh, well, if I have a favorite right now, 
I don't really have favorites. It's more like, what are you in the mood? Like, are we going to sip that? Like, are we going to drink this with no food? Like, okay. Are you, am I going to have a steak? Yeah. Am I going to have pasta? So like maybe there's favorites like in those scenarios. So if you're going, let's say you're going out for a nice steak dinner. Yeah. What, like, what would you kind of lean towards if you're having a nice steak? Dinner? Well, if I'm going to a steak dinner, like at a restaurant, I'm going to probably try and value buy. Like I'll look, I really like like Southern French wines for a steak dinner because they're, they're undervalued, I think. Okay. And they go really great with steak. So like a, a Rhone, it's okay. like Syrah based. So it'll still be kind of big enough and fruity and, and like, well, and you can get them, I mean, you know, you know, there's a spectrum like, so that's where, I mean, we ate steak last night and that's what I was like. <laughs> Very fresh yeah. in the memory. Yeah. Like, a, <laughs> like Chateauneuf du Pop. If you ever heard of the, that's a, that's a Southern. It's really cool. Chateauneuf du Pop is like field blend the grapes. Like, it's literally like this is the way they've done it for like a millennium. Like they just grab them all, throw them in a thing, mash them all up. And like what you get is what you get. Yeah. It's some of the best wine in the world. Okay. If I was making a steak dinner at home, like I'm going to like pull out a Napa cab that I've like put aside. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, and, I like, love it, man. Because I'm hopefully getting a better, you know, you know, just thinking like that markup between like if I buy this at the liquor store or if I buy this, you know, at a restaurant. Like, yeah. You know, because the restaurant's going to make a oh, margin on that. Right. So if we're having pasta, like it's going to be something, it's going to be something from Tusk. You know, it's going to be Sangiovese. Wow. Like I'm going to want something from Chianti or something like that. I'm envious on how you can like pair wine with food. People that can do that, I think. No, you can do it. I mean, I could. I just haven't totally made it a priority to learn the different ones and try it enough. Like, you know what I mean? I, yeah. But I'm going to get there because I really only started drinking wine a few years ago. My wife loves wine. So, and hopefully, you know, we can at some point get the wives together to have yeah. a nice Let's double do date it. glass of wine. You can show us the way. Adam, this has been an absolute pleasure. What's the best way for people to reach out? I know you mentioned a couple links and what I'll do is I'll put the links in the show notes, but I mean, you're on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Your website. Is there anything, any other? Check out the podcast. Yes. Rocks Energy Podcast. You can okay. find that wherever you get your podcast. And it's Rocks, R-O-X. Rocks, R-O-X. Yeah. Energy Podcast. You can also, yeah, go to the, you get to our website by going www.rocks.energy. Perfect. So yeah, we're on LinkedIn, trying to be more active there. Yeah. On Twitter. So perfect. Hi. Awesome. Well, Adam, thanks again. Good luck with Nape. And for all the listeners, please subscribe, leave a review, hit me up on LinkedIn. If you've got a great idea for a show, or if you have a guest that you'd like me to interview, I'm always open to interviewing fascinating people. There's so many in our industry. I can't reach them all. So if you have someone that would make for a great guest, reach out. And for all my listeners, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.